Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver and your resilient road tripper. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapist, your mechanic. You know what to do, drivers. It's time for the Relationship Road Trip. quote is by Jose N. Harris. There comes a time in your life when you walk away from all of the drama and people who create it. You surround yourself with people who make you laugh. Forget the bad and focus on the good. Love the people who treat you right. Pray for the ones who do not. Life is too short to be anything but happy. Falling down is part of life. Getting back up is living. I like that. That's nice. Last week was the end of our intelligence arc. No more intelligence we will finally get to the subject that we've been accidentally promising for the past few weeks. Waiting builds resilience anyway. Like a suspension bridge in an earthquake, we are going to sway, twist, and turn into this topic. And heck, in the past year and a half, you've probably heard dozens of references about resilience. But the first step to understanding is defining what you're learning about. So what is resilience? And specifically, how is it defined in psychology? To begin to answer this, I'd like to add a bonus quote from Dr. Viktor Frankl. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and freedom. I love that quote. Yeah, it's a good one. He has a lot of good quotes. Yes, yes. A very, very good writing. man. So anyway, psychology defines resilience as the process of adapting well in the face of adversity or trauma or tragedy or threats or significant sources of stress. Think serious health problem or work or financial issues or maybe even the prospect of divorce if you're married. You went fast through it, but you said adapting well. Yeah. So in a in a positive way, an improvement, a good adaptation or doing a good job of adapting. Yes. And that can take several trials (laughs) to get to, some of which may not quite work so well. Resilience, I I would think, is similar to something like grit or perseverance. What differentiates resilience from similar traits? Stubbornness, maybe? (laughs) (laughs) Let's do that in reverse. Let's look at perseverance first. So perseverance is the capacity to continue to use a skill, perhaps under duress or dealing with obstacles, when the skill is required for a long time in order to accomplish what you're attempting. So that's perseverance, just staying engaged and continuing to do something. Grit is an attitude that helps with perseverance when you're overcoming an obstacle while you're using a particular skill of some kind. Grit is the combination of courage and resolve. So if you remember a couple sessions back, we talked about courage. Courage can only exist in the face of fear. So Fear of failure is usually what's there when grit is happening in this context. And resolve is the idea of, I really want to accomplish this task. He knew I was going to ask what resolve was. You can't define things by adding more words to define. (laughs) (laughs) So that's perseverance and grit. Both of those have to do with actually using the skill in real time. Resiliency is the capacity to learn new skills 
practice them so that when you need them, the skills come more easily and apply those skills appropriately to the issue with which you are faced. The trauma, tragedy, threats, stress, things that we were talking about a second ago. Yeah, that's it. How about stubbornness? Where's stubbornness fit in here? So stubbornness is actually not resilience. Well, I know that, but the <laughs> listener may not know that. Okay, since you know that, why is stubbornness not resilience? I would say stubbornness falls into the same category as grit in that it is an attitude or it's not really an emotion, but an attitude and not a capacity. Mm -hmm. So perseverance and resilience, you've defined both as capacities in terms of the category of thing, mm -hmm. which I you could say is the same as an ability or... Can I don't I help know. you? Yeah. Stubbornness usually suggests that regardless of data, you continue to do the same skill looking for a different outcome. Okay. That's why it's different than perseverance. I would say that that's, you, there's some perseverance. That's some, that can happen with perseverance too. Sure, but, I mean, stubbornness has a negative connotation. Which is why that particular part of the definition is it. And remember that with resilience, the idea is adaptability. So if one skill isn't working, being willing to look at the situation, adapt it, and, and overcome. Well, and this is also why I emphasized adapting well, improving on what you're doing yes. to overcome rather than backsliding or not adapting, right. which then wouldn't be resilience. Gotcha. Great. So we've defined it. All right. So back to Dr. Frankel. The adapting well part of the psychology definition is that space he refers to where we get to choose. And in order to choose, you need some skills. To create that space instead of react, there are either five or seven basic skills depending on who you want to listen to. Glenn Blackett, mm. a British coach and therapist, proposes five skills, and I kind of like them. Self-awareness, attention defined as flexibility and stability of focus, letting go physically and letting go mentally, and last, accessing and sustaining positive emotion. So I like those five. Let's think about that. And then Australian psychologist, Dr. Karen Galati, suggests there are seven skills. When they all start with C. Yeah, I think she likes... I Listen, I was, I was sold on five skills because fewer, <laughs> but I also love alliteration. Yeah. So You and Karen would get along, I guess. So the, the seven she suggests are competency, confidence, connection, character, contribution, coping, and control. Okay, so... Wow, even ugh, six of the seven start with C-O. <laughs> yes, yes. And with no disrespect to Karen, I'm going to go with Glenn's approach. The reason for well, that is... Agree to disagree. Well, the reason for that is that I actually think it captures better the flexibility. Karen's list, I think, captures determination better. But hey, we can talk about that over a beer. Oh, we didn't even get into determination yet. <laughs> is that's more like that's more like grit? Yes. Or uh, resolve. Determination is similar to resolve. Yes. All right. So when we get into the individual part, we're going to go with the five skills from Glenn. All right? That's just my personal choice. Okay. 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 If either of you wants to go into deep stuff about uh, Dr. Galati's approach. I'll only heckle it's just a little. Got more, it's got more I know pizzazz. nothing about Dr. Galati's approach. I would have loved to hear you say all of those words in an Australian accent, though. That would have been fantastic. I would not like to hear that. <laughs> no, thank you. And our listeners probably don't. But I'll do it for you, Kim. No, that's good. This is the overview arc. Okay. We're learning broadly about what resilience is. Okay. Then the other four segments, what are they? What are we going to talk about? The whole list says individual. 
It does say individual. Sure. Is there no group resilience? So it's the individual in different contexts, right? In work, no, okay. in marriage, and as a parent. All right. It'd be interesting about group resiliency in like war areas and whether there's a concept of group resiliency as well as individual. Actually, that's a very true thing. So again, if you're in a right. crucible, some kind of stressful situation and you're working together in concert, you can multiply the resilience of each of the individuals. This is why F3 creates good bonds. Yes, yes, indeed. Because they're in the middle of a collective trauma of working out. It's a um, trauma for me. A physical, a physical strain. It doesn't have to be like life-threatening or... It gives uh, me nightmares. You know, well, but this is also why, right, it doesn't have to be a negative stressful experience. That's right. Could be something that you choose to undergo, or I just something ran that this race, you. and and you you have a nice. There's a lot of people running around you, and you're we're all doing it together. So you you, yeah, group resiliency is definitely a thing. So after this overview on resilience, what are the other four segments that we're going to do? So we're going to focus on the individual. All of these have to do with the individual, but individual. So resilience begins with you. In this segment, we'll go into the details about the behaviors you can learn and practice that will help you create the space between stimulus and response. Like Franklin was uh, talking about. Exactly. And in there, we're also going to talk about how to take care of yourself so that you can increase your capacity for resilience. Sweet. And then the individual in work so work as a special case of life, it often takes up a great deal of our time. For some, it is an expression of who they are, and it provides the resources to live the way that they would like. In this segment, we're going to look at some of the common stressors that derail people and how resilient skills will apply. Sometimes I'm derailed by having a job. <laughs> yes, I hear that often. I get that. Then there is the individual in marriage. A committed relationship is another kind of special case of life. The crucible of marriage can enhance your resiliency. We will talk about the skills needed and the attitudes that promote increased resiliency in both partners. The crucible and, of marriage. It's a very if dramatic phrase. you didn't forge phrase. your own wedding rings, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> then you have the individual as the parent. As you'd guessed it, this is a special case in life. What? Parenting, parenting often stresses people to the max. Kids are relentless. It is also easiest to lose your cool with kids. They have little power to fight back. We will talk about the special application of skills that hone your resiliency and teach your child how to be resilient at the same time. Double whammy. You got it. Man. Yeah. Kids. Very annoying. <laughs> and delightful. And extraordinary. Sometimes they even invite Sometimes. you over to their house for dinner. I would never. Definitely wasn't me. Isn't, aren't you asking this question, Papa? The third one? Uh, I feel like the way you wrote it. Well, I didn't understand your first bullet. I'm talking to two of them. I'm talking Are to two of them. What stressors or situations have required a resilient response? Raising the two yeah, of you. I, oh. oh. <laughs> but, um, that might have been like the biggest flop of a dad joke. <laughs> Sorry. So I, it wasn't when you, when you, when we were talking about this episode before we started recording, I thought that what you were saying was you wanted to ask this of Kim and I, you want me to ask it and we're all going to answer it. Yes. Listener, as you can tell, we carefully plan every detail of this show before recording. It's a finely tuned and honed process between the three of us that requires 
years of dedication and resilience. <laughs> and at least two brain noise? cells working Snoring. at any given point in time. <laughs> I don't I don't know what you're talking about. I feel like I'm on fire today. All, All right. right. So let's let's take it to some personal examples. What are situations that have required resilient responses from us? Who wants to go first? Well, I'm, I'm talking to two of them. So raising the two of you was one of the situations that required a lot of resilience. However, I would really like to hear from Kim. Would you like to go first? Well, being raised by you required a lot of resilience, no too. No doubt. Oh, Ooh, right back. No doubt. So how's that working for um, you? Not well. It just makes me sleepy. We've heard a lot about my experiences growing up. Definitely... I think other people required more resilience than I did in those moments because I was definitely the crucible in all of those. For me, the thing that stands out the most is my study abroad trip to Ireland. The short version of that very long story is that I got mono and I was really sick and I had to come home sooner than I expected. And it was not ideal for anyone involved, really, with how that played out. And so I ended up being there for six months while having mono pretty much the whole time. It was an adventure. Some might call me stubborn with how I responded to this. Some might call me persevering, perhaps resilient, but mostly I think stubborn. There, there was a lot of me fighting against the intelligence of what I could be doing in that situation. And I had to figure out how to be flexible with what was going on. And just recognize that the skills that I've had aren't always the best ones to be used in certain situations. But yeah, a lot of resiliency going through that. And then also now almost 10 years later, but on the return side of being home and how do I be resilient with that trauma? I don't know how to say that. I'm not sure what yeah. you're trying to say. I was thinking about coming back home and trying to figure out how to be okay with what happened even though I was very upset and angry about it. Well, there were some shining lights in there. We got to come over and spend two weeks with you in Ireland, and you got to show us a lot of cool places and cool things to do. We got an yeah, opportunity to, to demonstrate resilience when we cleaned that kitchen. Oh, my God. Mm. Oh, it's rough having Listeners, roommates. never... It's rough living with animals. It's rough living with mold growing on your floor. Mold in your freezer. And inside oh, yeah, the freezer. <laughs> I How wasn't is privy that to possible? that one. I wasn't privy to that one until after I came back to the US, okay? I feel like you have to actively cultivate mold for it to grow in a freezer. Listen, resilience. That mold was resilient and persevered and adapted to the harsh conditions so of the did. interior of a freezer. And the whole family came together to attack that kitchen and it took us what, all day? Yes. 5 hours, yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Anyway. Four of us. Yeah, that's for my five example. Hours. Look, I'm done. That was my resilience right there. It was a family resilience experience. No, yeah, it was a family. And that talks about relationship. And we'll talk about relationships throughout the next four of these. But Ben, no, no, you have to give us one. I mean, are you are you giving us yeah. one? That's when you say, oh, Don, your oh, turn. Last. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. He's scripted out the order. We don't get to just bat nope. it around. All right. Fine. I think the biggest example for me is when I had a seizure and got diagnosed with epilepsy. That's also something Kim has experienced and it sucks. <laughs> I will say Accurate. It's, I don't recommend it as an experience. Zero percent. Um, so to give a little bit of context, this was the fall of my freshman year. So it's like pretty much immediately after I got to school and I went to school in Nashville, Tennessee, 
not terribly far away, but definitely not at home. And gosh, it was right after a long weekend, I think, because... No, it was on a Sunday, wasn't it? Because you were taking the van to the church? That's correct. Yes, because on Monday we were talking about it in a class and the professor was asking how everybody's weekend was. And I was like, bad. Or maybe that was the next Monday. I don't know. Well, no, I wasn't. Anyway, I'm sorry. I was just trying to give some context. This is what it's like trying to remember things with epilepsy. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. And I was on my own for the first time. I was trying to be independent and all that good stuff as much as I could. And then I get knocked down with this epilepsy thing. And Papa was there immediately, which not surprising. It was confusing to me because my brain had just spazzed out. Well, you're unconscious knowing that you're at least a 10 hour drive from North Carolina and then you wake up and Papa's there. Ta-da. Yeah. And you yeah. were still in uh, the emergency room. Yeah. I would say the part that actually required resilience was afterward. After I was fine, I was back in classes and stuff and I guess on some medication and, and not too worried about my immediate health, but I had to go do a ton of follow-up doctor visits and they had to do scans and all kinds of things to figure out what exactly is going on. Is this going to happen again? What kind of medication should we put them on long-term? All that stuff. And I wasn't used to navigating any of that on my own with a serious illness. And not being able to drive. Couldn't drive because that's another fun side effect sort of of epilepsy. At least the first six months. You're allowed Um, to drive after six months, no seizure. I'm not even sure. I don't think I had a car my very first semester there. I don't think I brought it, right? I don't remember. Because I feel like it was a parking thing. But whatever, it doesn't matter. So I was walking to doctor's offices, which luckily was right near Vanderbilt. So there's a lot of good medical care. But anyway, it just required a lot of me learning quickly to navigate the medical system, which as you've heard on this show, insurance and all of that and doctors can be very frustrating and confusing. And to deal with my own recovery on my own, because obviously Papa could not stay in Nashville with me long term. So yeah, that was that's probably the biggest example in my life. Wow. Well, that's cool. Wow, he says, <laughs> unimpressed. <laughs> no, I am impressed. <laughs> no, I I, I'm stunned I, a little bit because I want to add like a thousand details of how you were resilient. In that instance? Yeah. I didn't. I don't know how to like get specific about it. In many ways, I did my best to go back to living my life as I did before, which I think is probably part of the definition of resilience. Like a thing happens to you and then you endeavor to return to a normal mm-hmm some sort of new, I mean, people have talked about this a bajillion times with the pandemic, right? When things get back to normal, oh, there's not going to be, it's going to be the new normal. And I don't think we've even yet defined really what that is. But what I think the emotion people are getting to is bad thing happens, changes everything. And then you have to find a new standard of operating, whatever that is. There has to be some baseline from which you are living. And this trauma is large enough that it has disrupted the old baseline. So you need a new normal. And I think that is what I did. I just tried to find, to quickly get back to living my life. So in in that, in the definition, remember we said adapting well, adapting means changing a bit, but finding that, that comfortable space of, you know, I get most of what I'm doing done. So in the first, you may not remember this, but certainly for the first month, you struggled because you had bitten your tongue on both sides and you had four or six 
molar and and bicuspid chunks taken out of your your tongue. Also, do not recommend. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's horrible. Sure, eating and talking was not helpful for you. I ate a lot of ice cream <laughs> in the cafeteria because I felt sorry for myself. Yeah. Uh, so that that's just one of the ways that you are overcoming. Plus, yeah, but I also adapted poorly to that because I bit my tongue and I was like, well, this hurts. Oh, well, I'll just tough it out. And then it got infected. And I was like, this is fine. This is normal. This is my new normal. My mouth just hurts all the time. And then I finally went to the campus health and they were like, well, here's some antibiotics or whatever. And then I was fine. And I should have done that like week one instead of moaning about it for a month. So that's Listen. that listener is not resilience. That is stupidity. That's stubbornness. And stubbornness. Well, and that's, stubbornness right there. That's part of what I was saying about my trip in Ireland was it was sheer stubbornness that I stayed for six months. Mama would have had me home after a week of mono. Yes, that's true. Mama probably responded with way more resilience than I did when I was actually in Ireland. Right. And and that was actually one of her biggest concerns. One of our conversations frequently after talking to you on the Skype. Yeah, on Skype was we didn't have Zoom back then. No, nope. we didn't. Was should we just pull her out of this? And and I said no. Kim has to make that choice. We'll support her if she wants to leave, but she has to make that choice. Well, I kind of made the choice. Mama really made she Mama bullied me. In her defense, I did call her and via Skype. So I left a voicemail on her phone that was like, Mama, I'm going to die. Get on Skype. So, I mean, I did, yeah, terrify Mama. But yeah. But it had to be your choice. Yeah. Because if it wasn't your choice, you would have resented us forever and ever. I think I was too tired to resent anything. Oh, it wouldn't have been at the time. It would have been afterwards as you remembered the events. Well, that's the other thing is I genuinely, like the last month of Ireland, I don't know that I have much memory. You don't remember the two weeks we were over there? I do remember that part. And then I remember you guys going home and me just downfall. That part is true. Um, I remember getting to London and I have the pictures of London, but I don't have the memories of London. Like I genuinely do not remember going. Yeah. But I have the pictures that prove I was there. Yeah. Like that last month and some change just didn't, didn't click in here, which is why that's part of why I want to go back is that to an effect, the resiliency I've built and wanting to go and be present with it in a different way. Mm -hmm. No, I support that. I support that completely. So I guess that means it's my anyway, turn. Anyway, we've, huh? yeah, it's like we've derailed. So. There's it's... one more person on this show. So it's, that's you. All right. I'm going to relay a story that's all the way back in 1985. So in 1985, Janice and I had been married for two years. I was two years into my graduate program. And in that particular graduate program, they had a, it's an obstacle. In order to continue in the program, you have to pass this test called generals. Now, generals was eight questions that you answered over two days. Okay. So you, you break out the math for all of that. Two in the morning, two in the afternoon for two days straight. These are essay questions. Questions like, what is time? Seriously, that's the one I remember the most because I read that and went, a magazine and flip the page, <laughs> but you really had to write something about what is time. How does it relate to psychology? How does it relate to people? I would have passed you <laughs> for a magazine. <laughs> Shortest essay. I, I thought it was clever. <laughs> I'm sure no Just one else would have thought it was clever. A flat circle. The, the little bunny from Alice in Wonderland with the yeah, clock. Yeah, there you go. 
Generals was very difficult. And in 1985, my father was in his last months of life. So mama and I would have to drive back and forth. Here's the thing about generals. In the program, you could only take it twice. If you failed both times, you failed out of the program. They gave you your consolation prize, which was a master's degree, and said, see you never. That's how that worked. I'm also, I have difficulty with writing. It's part of dyslexia. It's one of the things that's underneath dyslexia. When I write longhand, I combine letters and words. And it's really difficult for me to, to write well and to get all the words correctly spelled and in the right order just doesn't work very well. Now, interestingly enough, it doesn't bother me if I'm typing. So I had petitioned to use a computer and lost two times because, of course, back then computers were mysterious, yes, mysterious, hard to come by. And those are things to take it back an episode that we would call reasonable accommodations right. <laughs> to a non neurotypical person. In any yep. case, so I had failed twice and I convinced them because my father had died just before the second event that they really ought to give me a third chance. And because I was diagnosed with dyslexia, in particular with writing dysgraphia, that I should be allowed to use a computer. They acquiesced. I think it's because my father died, really. And they, they took pity on me. They are psychologists. In any case, I wasn't sure that I could do this. I was absolutely certain that the predictions that had been made to me in high school of, your people don't do that, were true. And those cognitive distortions, remember we talked about that too, were eating away at my confidence. So mama, in her wisdom, reached out to all of my friends. Now recognize long distance calls were very expensive. There were no cell phones. And the only way for her to reach out to all of them was to mail them requests. What she requested is that they write about positive or pivotal events or experiences with me or attributes of me that would lift me up. And she explained what was going on and that kind of stuff. And she collected these over, I don't know, a week long period and brought me a huge bag of letters. I don't know how many were in there. This is back when Papa had a lot of friends. So they filled up an entire bag. That is true. So I don't know how many were actually in there, but I started reading those and it really did lift my spirits and give me the courage to attempt this test again. And of course I passed because I'm a doctor now, but that was probably one of the most resilient moments in my life. I just want to say first that it's a really beautiful story. And there's a lot of points of resilience in it, I would say. Asking for the accommodations multiple times and getting turned down twice, but then not only getting the accommodations the third time, but getting the third chance to yeah. take the test. And of course, dealing with your your father's health and all of that travel and a young marriage as well. Lots of resilience there. So there's a commonality between these three stories. Mama. Yeah, actually that's true. <laughs> and Papa. All of, all of them though involved other people that helped us with our resilience. So even though I titled each of the four upcoming episodes, The Individual, no individual does this by themselves. Resilience actually comes, in a way, from interactions with other people. Mm. Now, there's a lot of resilience that you do yourself, and it starts with you, because if you don't even start the attempt to deal with this difficult situation, there can't be resilience. And if you bring in others, positive and helpful relationships, you become stronger in your resilience. With any luck, you're leaving this episode with a better, deeper understanding of resilience and also perseverance 
And what else did we talk about? Stubbornness. Grit, stubbornness, resolve, courage, but mostly resilience. We'd love to hear any stories of resilience that you would like to share. So don't hesitate to send us an email at questions at afpsych.com or write to us in our private Facebook group, which you can join. We will approve you. And if you're more old school, you could send a letter to 1903 North Harrison Avenue, Suite 201. I have no idea. I think it will get there. Somebody will read it. Probably one of us. (laughs) Most likely Don. Yeah, you guys get mail. Yeah, we do get mail. There we go. Send a letter and share share some stories of resilience because even stories about resilience can build resilience. Like Don just said, it starts with the individual, but it has a lot to do with our relationships, which is why we're talking about it on the Relationship Road Trip. Thanks for listening. And until next time, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to the Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back and may the sun shine warm upon your face. Mm